0: hi amit and welcome to the strategy podcast i am excited to have this conversation with you
1: thank you thank you very much for it. thanks for the warm welcome look i was looking forward to it and look forward to our chat
0: so for uh, our audience who do not know you why don't you go and uh, introduce yourself it's
1: an interesting journey uh, started in rajasthan way back uh, parents uh, uh, my dad banker uh, studied through rajasthan typical quota factory which took me to iit bombay Graduated 2006, spent a few years at Britannia, learning sales and distribution from, from one of the best universities that you can have to learn. Did my MBA from ISB Hyderabad, went to Telenor and Telecom. And then my digital journey or the startup journey uh, actually began in, in 2011 uh, with, with the largest company called the Times of India Group. They, they run an internet enterprise called Times Internet Limited. Uh, and uh, I, I was a, a product manager for. Uh, India Time shopping, the erstwhile or or the old uh, shopping platform. Uh, that's where I, I started learning about by, by reading books on Google Analytics. Uh, and, and then uh, I, I joined Rocket Internet, my real first startup experience, set up the marketplace for Jabong in India. Uh, built that business uh, from, from almost nothing to being a uh, 30 people team, almost 30% of what Jabong's uh, overall volumes were. I moved to Paris uh, internally in Rocket Internet. I was leading a, a, a marketplace for for frontier countries of Africa, Asia and Eastern Europe. These were some 35 countries and so many different time zones. Uh, one of the best teams that I worked with, uh, Stanford graduates, McKinsey consultants, ESAT graduates, HSBC bankers, a very diverse group, phenomenal learning, traveling to Nigeria, Ghana, Myanmar, Cambodia, Belarus, Bulgaria, Solved some very, very interesting and challenging problems. In Nepal, the, the addressing system is not evolved. So, how do you deliver close to the people uh, country? To, to uh, you know, most of the national careers in Africa not offering cash on delivery, which is pretty much imperative to grow adoption of e commerce. Did that for a year plus, came back to India, uh, joined Snapdeal snap deal with Kunal and Rohit. Uh, built the fashion business for Snapdeal, uh, almost uh, doubled it, drive, drove it towards profitability. When, when I me- was leaving Snapdeal, uh, 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 it, it was delivering close to a million dollars in net margins. Snapdeal was also a fantastic journey, which had its whole ups and downs. I joined when they were close to 8,000 people. I left when they were close to 800. Uh, so, again, an interesting ride. I've been with for, uh, for three years now, uh, I've built what is called OLX Autos, as uh, style OLX Cash My Car. Uh, we are close to a thousand people team, uh, running retail centers, some 70 of them uh, in 17 cities of the country. We operate uh, uh, the C2B car procurement business model. You can walk in with your car and walk out with cash. Uh, we, we offer you convenience of transacting your car really, really quickly. Uh, we we uh, also have the largest base of uh, channel partners in the country uh, who work on the OLX platform. Uh, so a phenomenal ride uh, in, in whatever last years uh, that, 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 that I have spent at OLX, close to three of them.
0: You know, that's phenomenal. That's an amazing journey. Very few people have that breadth of uh, knowledge and experience. And who are as young as you. So my first question, uh, Amit, to you is around uh, defining you know, your true work. Because as I come to see uh, see through it from you know, an outsider's perspective, I see you as a guy who picks up an idea and then builds this humongous machine on top of it that then creates the entire um, building on top of it, layer by layer. Uh, That has been your role in every company, building the fashion business, and then now uh, the auto business. Um, So uh, why don't you just walk us through a typical journey? What is going on in your head when you're thinking about these ideas? What is the next thing that I want to do? Um, So starting from why you decided to leave uh, a place like Times Internet, which in their own order have created something magical today. You know, their venture capital arm is totally going ballistic on acquiring digital assets and content. And then you have, uh, you move into an e-commerce company, leaving them at that point in time, right? When they were just in that journey, trying to just build it up. Uh, and you move there in a whole different ball game. Back then, I know it was a rage. So what property you might have driven you to make those decisions? Um, so if you can talk about that a little bit.
1: With, uh, the way to look at it and now when I look back, uh, things things look uh, more simplistic and streamlined and, and I can mm-hmm. sort of come up with a common theme. Uh, I think now when I look at it, the common theme is solving problem for small and medium entrepreneurs. How do I help them build their business, grow it and make it profitable? And that's a journey which which actually started in Britannia. In Britannia, I worked with the uh, channel distributors spread across the country. And then you see these distributors, some of them new, some of them old, who've been there uh, doing uh, distribution for not decades, but but for generations. So some of the older Britannia distributors would be actually pre-independence. And then you see these guys... uh, distributing uh, biscuits, food products, and and other categories as well, Uh, generating employment for a lot of people, Uh, going to smaller, deeper parts of the country, going to villages where there is only 2,000 people. You have two shops. One uh, is is a small food shop, Tapri, where you see uh, samosas getting uh, fried every day, and other one is a small kirana shop where the supplies for the village are, and otherwise the village goes out and procures it. And this distributor's van goes there every 15 days to refill the Britannia biscuit stocks. I think that that passion uh, that these guys have, uh, at some levels, uh, uh, they make money and they are good entrepreneurs. At at some levels, these guys are the drivers of this country, and not only this country, if you go to Africa, or if you go to Eastern Europe, or, or so many other places, I think This underlying thread, or is this undercurrent of entrepreneurship of SMEs is what builds a country like ours, right? And uh, now I see that whenever a problem where I challenge myself to help these SMEs build a new business, a business line, or grow their business or make it profitable, that's when I solve it really well. that is what comes in when I went into telecom. That is what came in when I set up the marketplace. Or, uh, there, were, there were very small people who would be doing five, seven orders per day on e-commerce. At peak, those guys reached close to 1, 1,200 orders in one day. Think wow. the amount of impact, influence, the amount of employment generation. We would have created so much employment just by empowering those guys and bring, growing their business. Right. You know, I
0: was the other day. I was the other day reading um, um, uh, Amazon's annual letter with Jeff Bezos <clears throat> writes every year, and uh, one of the things that he mentioned there, which was so, uh, which almost highlighted itself, is uh, how like a couple of million of really small businesses are kicking Amazon's ass on their own platform. They're actually selling more or, or as much and the impact that has created in the lives of those people uh, is what has catapulted Amazon to where it is today. And that's the power of, power of having a marketplace.
1: Okay. Correct. And, and let me give you an example coming in from Africa, right? In, in Africa, it's very difficult to find a good e-commerce seller because e-commerce is just growing there. Hmm. What we need to find is small time guys who really have that energy Willpower and passion to do something what they would start doing would be they would start importing small lots on aliexpress.com if you're aware of aliexpress.com it's basically supplies from China going into the whole world right they would import 100 t-shirts or 50 t-shirts they would import 100 watches which would be close to a dollar or two dollars they would list those products at 2x or 3x the price, which would still be cheaper than than their own retail trade. Make money, move the money, grow it. First time they will get 50, next time they will get 75. Over a period of year, their business would grow to 500, 700 t-shirt shipments. And then you see and feel the satisfaction of actually having allowed somebody to build his business, create additional employment because when somebody ships 50 t-shirts a month, he's the one guy. But when that volume grows to 500 t-shirts, he needs one small accountant and he needs one small packer. Mm. So from one guy, you created employment for three. And that's the power or the multiplying power of a marketplace. It distributes or redistributes wealth. You know and that's exactly what we've done at OLX Cash My Car.
0: Right. It's interesting because uh, opportunities, when they come about, I always see entrepreneurship as very persona driven. You do move into eventually a system that uh, that might become self-sustainable, but still you need people with crazy ideas to keep pushing the needle forward, which was the case with many iconic companies that have come about in the last couple of years. I want to talk about or, or drill deeper into the psyche of this entrepreneurship right building products from scratch which i think is your speciality tell me about the initial journey when you're given a certain project and you're thinking about how to make it successful the initial building blocks the days where an entrepreneur struggles the most when you probably might not have enough resources you don't have enough things to prove every strategy is an is a hypothesis in your head and to have the courage to put in that money that somebody has entrusted on you or your own into backing into your idea, which is total unknown. How do you think about those odds? And what role does the customer play in you thinking about all of this?
1: Any business that we create has to solve a customer problem, which is either new or solve an existing problem slightly better. If you don't do that, you don't create value then you are just, you know, repurposing value for personal gain. And that doesn't build businesses, <laughs> right? Uh, so, and let me take you through the initial days of Jabong when we were trying to think about how to build a marketplace. Yeah, to, give you a con- to give you a context, at that time, uh, uh, there were some marketplace businesses running. The challenge with those marketplace businesses and uh, uh, is that you got a rim soap in place of a mobile phone in in your shipment. And that that used to be like a very common newspaper headline, right? And people would say, I lost my 15,000 bucks. I lost my 30,000 bucks. And there was some real genuine dissatisfaction with the way how marketplaces work. And the reason that used to happen was the platform did not have control on what was being shipped. How it was being shipped and how it was being delivered, right? Uh, the let's say a platform gave an order to a supplier. The supplier shipped something. The courier, which would again be a third party, would take it. That third party might actually outsource it to a fourth party and then deliver it to the consumer. Now, when I entered Jabong, the challenge was that as Jabong, uh, we used to hold customer NPS at the uh, highest just, level.
0: Just one question if I have. What point, what state did you enter, enter Jabong?
1: How big I, was about I entered, Jabong would have been 100-150 people. Hmm. So what Jabong was doing very well was buying products from various brands, keeping them in their store warehouse and shipping them very well to the consumer. What Jabong was not doing was using third party suppliers to grow a marketplace. And that's where I came in. That's what they wanted me to bid. Now, the challenge was that we were delivering some phenomenal customer experience on our own inventory because we had our own delivery service. But when it came to marketplace, we were prone to the same challenges that, you know, in place of a T-shirt, what I got was somebody who wore it for his marriage or, or, you know, some of those stuff, right? Mm. Uh, In place of a watch, you can get a stone. (laughs) <laughs> and he realized that that kind of a marketplace cannot survive in such a customer centric ecosystem. Now, I thought about solving this problem with the team. And we said there are two or three ways to control this value chain better. One way to do it is that we have one guy posted at every seller warehouse to monitor it. And I myself sat on a couple of warehouses. We gave the seller orders. I picked, packed, and shipped orders to Jabong to see what are the complexities that we create, what are the complexities that the seller goes through? Our realization was that the seller will make errors and as the volumes fluctuate from let's say uh, 10 orders one day to 50 orders the next day, the seller will not have the ability to really allocate the same degree of quality check same degree of packaging or same quality of packaging and picking every day. We needed to reduce the role that the seller played in this. Mm. So where we landed was, we said, okay, seller, you will just hand over the products to us. Rest all is our responsibility. Seller gave us the products. We took the quality check in our hands and the, in the initial days we realized why the marketplace delivered such bad customer experience because some of the sellers would have 20-30% reject rates. And that is what would have gone to the consumer. And when I sat in the seller warehouse, that's when I realized it. When we owned more of the value chain, that's when we solved the customer problem. And the end outcome was that we were delivering very close to what the inventory uh, NPS was. But I think to come to the core of it, When you start thinking from a customer's perspective, first you have to have a proof point that the idea in your head works. I sat in the seller warehouse and I realized the seller cannot do it, but then I had to sit in there. If I had asked somebody else to do it, I would never have done it. And I think that's that's a lot about entrepreneurship in the initial days. Some of these things you have to do yourself. Mm. You have to have a very, very deep understanding of the customer problem you are solving for you have to have a very deep understanding of how you will solve it. And then you have to go out there and sell it yourself that you believe in it and that's why it is going to be solved.
0: That's amazing. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the idea of facing these challenges. right? The other day I was reading Seth Godin's The Dip and the book talks about uh, the concept of a dip versus a cul-de-sac. Which is a french term for dead end and he says in the book that every time you face uh, a challenge it's either something which is persistent which means if you keep working at it you will still be at the same place that's a dead end or it's a dip where if you keep persisting you're going to come out the other way um, with a win with a home run Uh, when snap deal was happening for you guys when that collapse was imminent for you and uh, you were personally going, I'm pretty sure the entire team must be stressed to first take so many people out of their jobs, which is such a difficult thing for you personally, because I see you are invested in helping other people make money, be it your vendors, be it your team members. I am doing business for that greater impact of generosity and not just me making a lot of money. When that happens... And that will that could happen with a lot of your bets, which is why, you know, Seth Godin also talks about how uh, there are there have been a thousand books that I, he has written, which have all failed before a book like Lynchpin became a national bestseller. How when you are actually going through those moments of change, those moments of trauma, what is it, What is the thought? Did I make a bad bet? Uh, maybe miri galti होगी right? We keep blaming ourselves. We sometimes get into that rut. I've seen entrepreneurs, young people, Amit, who have become so distraught because they lost one bet. So they, I I mean, I personally, I've had like three failures behind me now, different companies and things that I try to do, but I somehow quickly move out of it to do the next thing. Because for me, it's not, I don't hold on to those things. I try to extract as much as I can, but then I eventually shift And I keep shifting my focus to the focus to the next things that motivate me. What has, brought was that journey at a scale like that, where so many people are looking and there is such bad press and people, you know, they just need a moment to say any crap about anybody without thinking, without any level of empathy. What do you have to say about that? I think uh, there
1: there are two two questions embedded into what you just uh, asked through it, right? One is, uh, of course, uh, how did we all navigate and uh, survive Snapdeal? Uh, and, and second one is uh, when you fail, how do you reconcile with it and how do you find a way out of it? Uh, let me talk about the easier one as to how did we uh, survive Snapdeal? Uh, and how did me and my team survive Snapdeal? Right? I think... Uh, uh, I am in touch with most of those people who were a part of my team, uh, uh, whether they were a part of my team before or after uh, uh, what what we did, what had to be done. I think the the fundamental role of a leader in, in these tough situations becomes very, very critical. The credibility of the leader, the trust and faith on the leader, that is what counts for how you navigate the situation and my personal take on that uh, Rohit is that as a leader as close to transparency and truth you can be with your team, the better is going to be your life and your team's life. A lot of people feel that they can create an aura of positivity which is sometimes artificial in the back, uh, while things are not going great. I don't believe in that. If things are bad, my people should know it uh, first. And if things are good, it's okay even if they don't know it. And the reason for that, Rohit, is that I always believe that my team and the kind of team that I build is smarter than I am. Right if I am being artificial and if I am trying to hide information from them, they would figure it out faster than I have. So, and that damages credibility, right? Why should I trust you if you are hiding something from me? Which is right. important and meaningful to my survival and my uh, future uh, personally or the organization. I, I don't believe in that. And I think that that is that is the secret mantra of how I and my team survived Snap Deal and how I managed to keep some very good relationships and some very good friendships with my teams uh, that survive even now. Because I was always truthful, transparent about what I knew and what I thought. And that really worked. And I think that that is where you as a leader have your essay test. Mm. If you start thinking that you're smarter than these guys and you can hide and get away with it, I think you, you're making a fool of yourself. So also, that's, that's part one. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Also, uh, you know, just before you answer the second part of the question, um, I might have all the best intention to be very clear and uh, straightforward with my team. But when I'm going through something like that, that, it is also taking a lot of emotional toll on me as a leader. 800 or 8,000 people were looking up to me. Uh, that is probably a lot of emotional stress too. When that emotional stress is happening, and I'm not in the ability to make clear conversations, the best decisions, and my own, shayad ho jaye, ek mind you know that thought comes to your mind. Um, how do you navigate it? You like know, again, delusion gonna... in your head, and be very clear that next steps ye hone chahiye. But again, uh, shayad ho jaye sab thik. Your team
1: should know that. Mm. You, should, you should know that your team is as passionate about building something or solving the same customer problem as, as you are. And if you believe that they are as smart as you are, then you have to trust much more in your team than your delusions and the way you think. And you have to trust them that if you think that Chaiq's Hojai team can work, then they should also be able to think. And if they think differently, then they know it more than you. Right. So, was, I think that, that so wall of uh, uh, hiding information is, is not for me and that's not my leadership style. Because I'd say a lot
0: of companies do that a lot of time, which creates so much friction later on. Uh, it happened at WeWork uh, just a couple of days back when uh, Urban Ladder was sold and investors could only make 20 cents of a dollar in their investments. Uh, I was just tracking, you know, I do this weekly Sometimes an interesting story that comes about. I do. If I was the CEO of X company, what would have been my decision then? So I I, I covered the story on uh, Urban Ladder, and I looked through the seven-year journey of the company, and each time the founder, what he was saying, you know, um, and I could see as the problems grew. Um, The message that was being given out all the time was, oh, everything was okay. We just took off 25% of my team, but everything is fine. Investors are on board. Two of the people just stepped out of the boat, but everything is okay. And then in 2020, this happens. So, you know, you're talking yourself into a story and trying to believe the outcomes would be different, which is is exactly what I think uh, should be the way you just, um, you know, explained. Trying to be very, very authentic, being genuine, and telling people what the state is. So we can all work together to find a solution. Yes,
1: yes, I think, yes, I agree. And when you have a large organization working with you, it is not possible for you to solve all the problems. I think you've hired smart people, let them work with you. Without that aura of everything is going to be all right.
0: I want to move now and shift gears to product because I think that that's one area where uh, you think a lot about um, uh, first building digital products and then tell me about building a consumer to business digital product where, uh, you know, I'm going in and this is a great business, right? I just, I recently sold my car and I went to one of your competitors to that. um, And uh, the experience was pretty slick, right? I was there. It took me 20 minutes. They put my details and then people are uh, bidding all the dealers are bidding in and I'm, getting prices in real time, which was fantastic the way the entire process happens. Um, tell me about the uh, initial idea, Where uh, when were you onboarded with this, what was the state of the company when you joined in and uh, how did you scale this? Because I think scaling is a huge, huge uh, problem or challenge um, for companies. You know, if you can shed some light on the strategies that you implemented, how did you think about the entire business back then when it was still a very nuanced early stage thing?
1: Sure. So I think uh, uh, as far as inspiration was concerned, as to where this business model of uh, C to B uh, convenient car selling for the consumers uh, was going, there were some successful companies in, in Europe, in India as well, Cast24 had started doing it. And as OLX, because we are the market leaders in the used car space, uh, we, we knew it, uh, that that's a space which is going to be evolving. Uh, I think the confidence of the organization because of its earlier strengths was already there. Uh, and in, uh, Strategically, uh, uh, I was brought in because uh, I am seeing more of a person who has the ability to do a blend of online and offline well, uh, both from a strategy and execution perspective. Uh, And and that's why uh, uh, I think the the initial scale-up was easier for me because OLX used to be a pure play online organization let's say three years ago. Key key lessons around uh, uh, scale-up uh, which which now uh, I can see things that really work well for us. Uh, the first thing is to invest in leaders who you believe are the right ones for the kind of scale-up you are looking at. And uh, let, let me take an example of, of OLX Auto slash Cash My Car, right? I think uh, uh, given the organizational DNA, the space, and the evolution that we were seeing in the space, it was very clear that we are looking at a very, very rapid scale up. And we were also looking at an evolving business model as the customer problem and the customer expectations evolve. Because this space, uh, even today is a fairly nascent space. And in that context, the kind of team that I build up for the initial leadership and which, which continues to do a phenomenal job even today, this team came in with a couple of mandatories. Uh, one is having seen what I call one digital startup and scale up. Mm-hmm. And the Second thing is having seen a lot of uncertainty on how business models evolve and change. Uh, I think those six, eight, 10 leaders that I hired in the initial phase to build this business and across all businesses, these, these people, if you can get the right ones, even 70 80% of them you've solved 60% of your problem wow and then as a leader you need to take a step back then your role is about building the right vision for the business because you already have phenomenal execution experts who can really do what you want them to do once the direction is shown So you have to build the right vision for the business. The second thing is you have to put in the right guy for the right thing. Because while you get 10 leaders for yourself, every leader has a nuance to itself and you have to tailor-made the challenge for this person. And that process also takes some time because A, the business is evolving and second, you're trying to understand this person better. So that's the second one. And the third one, as a leader, uh, your role is to do business development, which is either internal or external. Uh, It is is about uh, figuring out the right partners, getting the right investment, selling the success story. Uh, You go out there and create the right positive uh, uh, narrative for your organization and the customer problem that you're solving. I think as a leader, you have to step in at the right time and step out at the right time. Then only you can create an empowered set of leaders who really get the job done.
0: Um, A word on hiring, please. How do you know who is phenomenal? Um, If I'm doing something for the first time, which is creating a new category, and I don't know who will, who could help me out because nobody is coming from that background. For instance, you moved from, uh, you know, a CPG company, a very traditional, very uh, organized, old, right, uh, setup, and then moving into something uh, completely blank, a blank slate, a blank canvas, if I may call it so. And now I have to find the right people to <laughs> hold brushes together and create a canvas, create a, you know, portrait. Um, how do I, you know, meet, find those people? How did you find those few people? How did you, uh, and how many conversations, you know, it, it helps you understand yeah, uh, I think, uh, uh, that's, that's a good question. And
1: it's, it's both an art and a science, uh, and, uh, when, when I was hiring, uh, uh, I, I studied Uber's hiring process. Uh, and it's, it's a fairly in, sort of intense uh, uh, three to four interview process uh, plus the last stage is basically a presentation about the role that you are going to take and how are you going to do manage that role for six to twelve months. And I think uh, one fundamental reason why I liked that process was that it tells you who's serious and who's really interested in going to the last level of detail. Uh, yeah. and, and that's a value yeah. that a lot of organizations uh, hold very dear to their chest. And as an individual, uh, I like to deep dive uh, into detail. And I, I prefer to have people who are who have this ability to uh, dive deep into detail when required. So I think one thing is that from a core hiring process perspective, uh, uh, and then if you are the only founder, then you have to be really objective thorough and detail-oriented in the process. And if you can get help from others who can give you an unbiased opinion about that individual, then, then you should definitely seek out. Uh, why is it that you think you are the smartest guy to make a conclusion about your co-founder? There are other people who can help you with that. That's one. From a skill set perspective, so up till now we spoke about process and now the skill set. Uh, I am a very strong believer uh, uh, that in the initial stages of the organization, what is important uh, is core, raw, smartness and intelligence, passion and ability to solve problems. And I I myself, uh, uh, somebody who was trusted by a lot of people to solve a new problem, which I did not have a direct connection with, right? I went into fashion, I went into telecom, I went into FMCG, Mm. right now I'm uh, in automobiles. It is because that some people really believed in me that I'm a good problem solver, agnostic to some nuances of the business that I'm going to build. I think that approach really works. Once you get in the right person who's passionate and is a good problem solver, you, that person's ability to learn will ensure that he's up to your speed in 30 days and is probably knowing better than you about the category you are passionate about. You have to have that raw intelligence and passion uh, uh, out there, which also means that don't make category learning and understanding as a mandatory. I don't consider that as a mandatory. Mm. And what about, uh,
0: you know, you talk about one process, which is... uh, to see how invested is he in wanting to do something like this, asking him to make a presentation about his job. That's an, an incredible idea. Um, what What else do you you know What else can I do to um, um, evaluate that person? Should it Should it matter to me that he has uh, never been consistent in his jobs? Maybe he did not find the right place where he could belong or where he could feel. Um, that he wants to make that change, right? So a lot of people kind of I see that, and I've done that in my life as well. Um, doing a job that I didn't want to do. Everybody does that at some point in his life because he wants to be right with the society. So, I is i in thing. And then you break out of that zone of thinking like that. And suddenly you realize this is not a place where I want to be but i don't know anything about the other place where i ought to be <laughs> i'm somewhere in the middle if that kind of a guy who is also passionate about doing something new and he comes to you and he says uh, look i had no clarity but now i do uh, and i want to do something not much to show you here because i was so far following the path of the society but now i want to break out how do you how do how do such people uh, prove themselves and uh, make themselves uh, you know available to do something really fantastic and which brings a change.
1: So it's a a very good question and uh, uh, having been through multiple assignments myself, uh, a lot of people have asked me these questions uh, at at different forums. Uh, There are a couple of uh, 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 areas to look at it objectively. Uh, One point is uh, uh, that as a person, as a, as, a, as a smart person, whatever you do and whatever I do today, there are some things that I will enjoy very much, but there would still be a lot of things that I don't enjoy, but I still do because they need to be done, Right? And it's a package. It's a percentage. I might enjoy 70% and I might not enjoy 30%. Eventually, these percentages are shifting right, between uh, uh, different places that you are. I don't believe that there is a place where you do 100% of your own choice. Uh, that place doesn't exist. But when you put a smart, motivated, passionate guy in a, in a situation where the, the ratio might be difficult, that I only like 40% of it okay. and I don't enjoy 60% of it, the guy should still, the person still should have solved the problem and added value to the problem and should have gone full circle in some of the problems that he or she solved. I wouldn't like it if you haven't solved any problem to that team. Even if you don't like it, you still, still are smart, you should be able to solve it. Solve that problem. That's, that's one. Uh, the second point, Rohit, is that uh, the cycle in which a problem gets solved can vary between different industries. Let's say for a petrochemical industry, from inception inception to commissioning to real output coming out of a refinery getting sold can take 10 years, 15 years. For, For a FMCG company setting up a new plant and getting output of that product can take three to five years. For a cement company, it can take that long. For a digital ecosystem, setting up a website, optimizing conversion, getting to a certain scale can take eight to 12 months. I think there has to be balancing when you are looking at an individual and seeing has he gone through full circle in solving that problem. Lot of people uh, uh, try and differentiate now. So the amount of time that you go through in a in a more conventional system to solve a problem full circle is longer. In a digital, fast-moving ecosystem, uh, it's smaller. And when you start looking at it with that lens, you will see that a lot of people more will become relevant to what you are seeing.
0: I want to talk a little bit about education, um, and I put this from a very serious. Uh, context that I've been thinking about my own education for quite some time and then about the system that we're having and then about the kind of company that are coming in to change the system. But I see more of the same thing uh, being done by these companies, which are very, very well funded, backed by some powerful people. Um, there, There is this change happening where I no longer seek to have Accreditation, accreditation is slowly losing steam. You know, I just the other day I was reading Gagan Bayani, the founder of Udemy, he has announced a new startup and they raised 4.1 million dollars for it, which is cohort-based learning. There will be no certificate. At the end of it, you will be put into a small group of 15 people and uh, uh, you will be taught, you know, things that you just said, problem solving, your ability to empathize, how well can you communicate, working under pressure and doing smaller projects and interacting with 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 a group of members uh, and reflecting on each other's thoughts. When such people, uh, you know, start coming into the marketplace, what what is your your point thought about uh, um, finding talent tomorrow? You know, be it like choosing the right partners to build a founding team, or firing you know finding the, your first employees who would be there. Uh, do you s- feel the role of organized institutions like the IITs and IIMs co- coming down. And then uh, this, this new system, which is focused more on the human side of learning uh, and, and less on the technical side, which is everything that I have been taught so far, I just realized, uh, and, you know, which is now a Google search away for us. Right, Anything that I want to know is just a Google search away. In that moment, finding those smart people who are solving problem is becoming slowly difficult to find in those institutions. So what is your view about that education system that you came from the challenge that you had to face when you went into the real world and uh, about this new models that are coming about? It's a,
1: it's a good, complex, multi layered question, uh, and uh, let me, let me try and uh, uh, first uh, simplify the question. The first question is uh, do accreditations add value? The second question is uh, if they don't, uh, uh, what is it that we will use to, to assess people? And the third one is uh, 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 these new startups really helping with learning but not accreditation. Uh, I, from where I come in, uh, Accreditation uh, does add value and would continue to add value. But the type of accreditation can change. Hmm. So, to me, an accreditation is a filter of thresholds. Now, that accreditation can come in from an IIT or an IIM or a Harvard or a Stanford, but eventually it's a filter which tells you that this guy tried, succeeded in a competing cohort to a certain degree and met minimum benchmarks. And how does that help you? As an organization, you have a certain paying capacity, you choose those accreditions as, as your minimum threshold. And if you find the right ROI mix, you allow those people to enter your selection process. Now that accreditation can come in from a different way, where now a new system says, "Okay, this guy has 70% empathy. This guy is 85% good at solving startup problems." But someone will have to tell it, because otherwise, the objectivity of finding, differentiating people, uh, somebody who's who's good at opening locks versus somebody who's good at uh, uh putting in electricity versus somebody who's good at setting up warehouses. these are three different kind of people. How do you differentiate? And when you start doing it at scale, that is when accreditation comes to help you. While some accreditations which come in from an historic context might not be as relevant to the kind of problems that we are trying to solve. those accreditions still filter the right way. And I think what they are filtering for and how people get educated in those filters can change, but an accreditation fundamentally in my view is required. I wouldn't comment whether uh, the older accreditions uh, uh, would lose value. I think newer accreditions would also come in, which which will help us more. Because I think we are a good, smart people, star of the country and globe. We just want to know which guy is good at what, and we want to use him. Which means more the accreditation, the better it is. So that's that's my view at a very high level.
0: Mm, the challenge to it is, you know, the way things have happened in our present system. You have uh, at one layer so many colleges teaching you how to do engineering, yet you have only a handful of them who end up getting great opportunities. And even out of that, a very you know, few number of people, which I can literally count in my fingers, who literally go out there and try to make things. So uh, innovation, I think, though is a big part of our culture. I think we've been a country of many of firsts for a long, long time in the world. When the West, you know, they were still thinking about the basic setup of their society, We were way ahead both in terms of our uh, uh, culture, in our business, in economy, uh, in the way we were living, in the way we were thinking about science in different areas, um, that we have lost in the last couple of hundred years. And again, trying to build back, I think one problem that I see in the system right now is uh, there's just too much outward focus on results. 95 versus somebody else but then I've seen uh, over the years if I look back the last 15 years and people in just my batch and I see the diversion I don't see much difference in uh, where all of us are everybody is almost the same place with a couple of outliers and these are outliers who were also outliers back then they were outliers either one guy was you know totally nowhere in, in his uh, education, but he's doing some phenomenal work at, a, at an organization and building, making that change happen.
1: I think that, that's, a, that's a great comment, Roj, and that's why, uh, let me link it back to what I said, right? I think that means that the way we are accrediting, accrediting people, that may need to change. And that is something uh, that that should change if that is not accrediting you for the right skill set. The second thing which might need to come in and play is that we need new credentials: Bachelor of Entrepreneurial Management. Bachelor of uh, 0 to 1 scale up in a startup. Bachelor of uh, 10 to 15 in a startup. But let me also give due credit to the way this system was set up 70, 80 years ago. We have to go back to our country and see that when we got our freedom, what we needed to do was to build a lot of industries around ourselves. A lot of mechanical engineers were required. A lot of aerospace engineers were required. A lot of chemical engineers were required and that was the need of time then. And some of it is still required.
0: Yes, definitely. The reason
1: that this country has become what it is, is because we had a lot of engineers coming out of those colleges and working really hard, not only in public sector, but also in private sector, building so many industries that we have around ourselves. Think about it. Had we given bachelor of zero to one in a startup in 1947, we may not have been able to create the industries that we have today.
0: You know, unfortunately, I wouldn't uh, have the known unfortunately, I, mean, I, uh, you know, just so many of your batchmates too. Right when they were when they call call uh, out a lot of them uh, must have moved out the, out of the country to find opportunities right. in, in the west uh, right. uh, and that's so disheartening for me to see uh, always even today I see like uh, I think Canada they just opened their uh, um, PR visas right and right. the number of people who applied from India the number was phenomenal. And I was still thinking we're still not quite ready to make an impact here for whatever reason that might be. So I can only tie it back to my education and what i am I being told every day about life in this part of the world, which is somehow not enough. And I have to go there and do something else. So why is that? Incredible opportunity is what I'm seeing, which you've been a benefactor of in the last uh, you know, almost a decade and a half of your own career and the people that I've spoken to and the number of companies that are coming here, which is incredible work that they are doing. I'm sure you're also working with a lot of them. What is that? Why is this thought still so prevalent?
1: So it's it's a, it's a very, very good question, Rohit. And it's, it's a personal one also, right? Uh, every individual is, me too, is free to make his or her own choices. At one level, uh, Oh, one perspective to look at is that we are one globe now uh, the best person should fit into the best opportunity or the best problem wherever it is in the world why do you want to confine somebody to india if he or she can do a better job at a challenge which is in canada or new zealand or nigeria oh. or ghana or myanmar right? that that's one thinking but, but the, the 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 issue with that thinking is that uh, Uh, the initial investment was made by government of India on some of those people. (laughs) Right? But I think uh, uh, there is another very strong undercurrent that I see in a lot of my peers and, and my friends which is what I call reverse brain tearing. A lot of people went and they have come back and are adding such incredible value to not only just the startup ecosystem of this country but the overall economic uh, growth of this country. I think as, an, as a country, we are becoming far more competitive uh, in terms of attracting talent. But as as, as we are progressing forward, uh, uh, there is one big market, which is not just India, but a global market. And that's how I, I foresee this. Uh, despite so many uh, political headwinds, headwinds around nationalization, and this resource is mine, uh, and, so and so forth. I, I fundamentally see this world as one world uh, where we will have to compete for the best talent uh, uh, and then we will have to create the right ecosystem for, for that talent to build new things. And as a country, we've made phenomenal progress in last 20, 25 years in doing that. And that's why you see so many people coming back. So many people not being happy in other places and other countries coming back and creating such phenomenal value in India. You, you see it across all sectors and segments.
0: I um, I want to now move on to another idea that has uh, taken a lot of people in the startup ecosystem uh, and they've taken it very seriously, which is the idea of having mentors. You know? Now, um, I have two ways to think about it. And I was reading Seth again, I will quote him. And he says it's, t- it's great if you can find one, but you it's very very difficult as well to find the right person so what he in in, in fact suggests is the idea of heroes these are people you uh, look at and you might not ever meet them in your life but whatever perception you have of them inspires you in any way and you create as many heroes as you can you find them and uh, it could even be an imaginary hero like superman but he drives you to do something and pushes you for your best behavior in uh, in doing things in your life. So what is what is your take about uh, mentorship and finding heroes in your life? And if you can also tell me about your own personal heroes, mentors, you know, those people are, how did they create an impact in your life and make you uh, uh, reach where you are?
1: I I, I haven't read uh, enough of Seb Godin to to really sort of uh, know a lot about it, but uh, it's an interesting idea, which we which are talking about, which is difference between mentors and heroes. Uh, and he is right in saying that you, you may not always find the right uh, mentors. So the good idea is to go Google, find the person who you think has done what you are trying to do and, and try and emulate. Uh, uh, because. There is the philosophy that I truly believe in, which is uh, uh, imitating is the fastest way to learn. And children learn the fastest because they imitate a lot. Uh, but the, the, the issue here is that imitation can create followers and not leaders. If you imitate, you will always be a follower. You have to figure out a way to... Uh, Break the imitation to... and just use the inspiration to guide your
0: own creativity.
1: Correct, correct. So, so that's that's one thing uh, I, I, and', and I, it's, it's really difficult to find mentors but uh, I think mentorship uh, doesn't need to be from someone really old or someone really big Mentorship is, is also peer-to-peer mentorship mentorship is about problem solving in a manner that someone can give you unbiased feedback Mentorship is about Somebody who has tried to solve the same problem as you are in past. And you know, in different stages of life and different junctures of life, uh, you can find different people helping you with that. Uh, so I think in, in my case, a lot of my good friends uh, are my mentors too. Uh, because they are at different junctures in life. Some of the problems that they have solved or they are solving for somebody else is a problem that I am trying to solve for and I reach out to them to seek unbiased feedback and guidance. And uh, uh, mentorship can be inside your house. Sometimes your kid can tell you a thing which which you may not have thought about. So it's it's about being open and taking unbiased feedback. Personally, for me, I think uh, uh, my dad, my wife, my mom, uh, they are my closest mentors, my control tabs and my inspiration. Uh, I am a very, very family family person. I think these are the people who made me into who I am today. Uh, the sacrifices that, that my parents did in the initial education days uh, of, of uh, mine, uh, my wife coming in to support me in my career journey in last decade. I think uh, those guys had to go through a lot to make me reach where I have, uh, And uh, they, they are my philosophical guides too.
0: Um, you know, a personal question, which is on uh, a schedule, right? A lot of people in the pandemic realized they have a lot of time in their hands suddenly. And uh, through Netflix, the consumption factor has increased to the scale of 10. But then a lot of people also started thinking about things that they always wanted to do, right? They pursue a passion, start a side project, right? A business. I know a couple of 40-year-olds who've been uh, like a decade or uh, two in the business, uh, really senior level individuals, and they uh, almost uh, use the pandemic to start a side, uh, you know, project. Somebody wanted to write a book, somebody wanted to do a podcast. uh, And it's exciting and interesting to do that. So... Uh, I want your, uh, thoughts on, uh, organizing your day. How do you go about, it? you know, once the pandemic began, when, you know, a chat, cab work from home, karne. uh, sudden uh, change. Thousand people to manage. How did it happen for you? And how did you quickly get yourself into the groove and work from such a great distance with everybody? How did you make sure team morale didn't kind of go, go down and people I might have also been worried about their jobs.
1: Uh, so, the day before uh, uh, the lockdown uh, uh, was going to get uh, implemented, a couple of things happened at my house. One is that my parents who live in Kota, they came over and we decided mm-hmm. that we will go through it together, whatever happens in future. The second thing is that uh, we have a very small servants room, uh, which is, I think, seven by eight and it used to be a storage room, it became my office. So we put in a table here, we created all the garbage uh, and it is my secluded office space uh, till the time I do my work. And I think both these things have really helped. Uh, As a family, we came together, uh, we supported each other, the kids had their grandparents to sort of support them, take time with them when they are not going to school. As a family, we really came together in this time of adversity. Uh, As an individual, I had that more time. Uh, I had family support. Uh, And I built in my schedule where uh, I I wake up early morning, let's say at around 5.30, go out there, play tennis in the society, spend an hour with my son, uh, uh, teaching him a bit, then go through the whole day with video calls and sleep early. So that way, I've been fairly simple in, in, uh, in managing my day. Uh, as far as managing the team is concerned, uh, there are two or three things uh, that, that uh, we decided to do. Uh, one was to increase the total overall interaction that, that we've been doing. Uh, so we actually did a lot of video calls together and a lot of them had everyone showing face and that builds in We also put in methodical systems of project management so that uh, uh, some of the catch-ups that were not happening face-to-face which could happen in between two seats would come in form of Google Docs and project trackers so that everyone in the organization would be aware of where are we moving, how fast are we moving and where are we lagging. The last thing was, I think, as an organization, we we kept a lot and lot of focus on managing people morale, engaging them, motivating them, and being clear with them as to what does it mean, what the pandemic means for our business. And that that again, thread of transparency, thread of tr- trust in the team has, has really helped us uh, uh, in managing our people well. Being very authentic, genuine about the challenges that we have, uh, the the lockdown that we went through we all went through to, to together so that sense of togetherness has really helped us
0: um yesterday you know i i, uh, I do this this freelance work for a singaporean uh, market research company called Wimit. and i'm doing an interesting project with them which is called employee experience the global top 10 and i'm looking at uh, at so far studied about 15 global companies and uh, Trying to figure out what are their employee uh, experience best practices and what did they do in the pandemic, what change happened, and I came across uh, uh, a quote by uh, the CEO of Aon, right, and he said that one of the first things that we did when this happened was, uh, um, uh, you know, being very transparent with what we are trying to do, uh, where we are, um, and to now. Uh, the big change that is happening after like seven, eight months down the nine, nine in the pandemic is they're thinking about uh, not the new normal, which is what the you know consulting uh, coined term is for this new new uh, time, but the new better, which is we can use this crisis to really catapult ourselves to the next level of whatever we want to do, because suddenly you're uh, no holds bud in a way. So uh, has this pandemic been a real? opportunity booster for uh, uh, you know for you personally have you started thinking about the business uh, radically different
1: uh, what big change happened any any disruption in the ecosystem pushes you to innovate <laughs> and if you don't then uh, then there is a problem right mm. uh, and uh, any disruption in the ecosystem is important because it creates new customer needs and uh, new customer requirements. I think that, that happened to us also. Uh, we were running a retail business and we are running a retail business but there is a lot of hesitation in people coming to our retail centres to sell their cars. Now uh, we go to the customer's home in, in a very safe, sanitized way and do the inspections of their car at their home. And that has become a very, very big part of uh, uh, our, our, our ecosystem. Uh, we have started doing what we call virtual self-inspection. Where uh, the, the customer inspects his car and we try get try and get a sense of uh, the next steps in the process and fast track that customer. So a lot of those things and those innovations. We things are, which were
0: part of our plans, but we were never doing <laughs> it, not even trying it. Now, suddenly we have no option but to try those things.
1: I think this is a change which is in the organization and in the customer mindset also. So the customer is more willing and more amenable to do these new ways of doing things, right? So if you tell me today that I have to sell my car uh, by going to a retail center, which is five kilometers, and sit there for two hours versus me doing, me going around my car for 45 minutes and telling you each and everything, I would happily spend those 45 hours, which I would not have earlier. Right, and that's a, that's a shift, right? That's that's a mindset shift that has happened in me as a consumer.
0: You know, uh, last couple of questions now as we enter the final stages is uh, once you become a CXO and there is that uh, aura of power, um, um, I, I see a lot of people behaving differently once that happens. Did that happen with you too? When uh, you know that jump happened? Now, suddenly, uh, you know, people are looking up to me. So uh, I'm the hero in the room. Did that feeling ever happen to you? And if at all, whenever you have to face that thing, uh, how do you go about it? How do you navigate
1: that? Uh, That's a a very, very good question. And I'm fortunate that OLX as an organization is, is very good at building leaders and educating them about what comes next? Right. And as, as you spoke about this aura, right? This aura is two-way. It can be in my head, but it can be in somebody else's head who, who's sitting in the meeting also. Right? And and uh, uh, I, I'm looking at my uh, uh, prob- you
0: change your posture.
1: <laughs> 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 so uh, and this is something that I'm, I'm trying to do a lot. And it's, it's something that I'm train, trying to train myself on, which says speak less, speak last, become the leader that everyone wants. I think as a wow. leader, you do not realize that there is a lot of influence that you create by speaking and by telling what you think. But the real power of being a leader comes in when you are able to use what your team has much better. And that can happen only when you as a leader take backseat and allow your team to go out there and do things that are right for them. And that's where I go back to what I said earlier. As a leader, what is very, very critical for you is to build the right team and then let them run the show. You know, and when you do that, you, you 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 don't have that order, right? You're sitting behind in the room and letting everyone do the thing. You can come in in the last. And by that time, if you have a smart team, they would have already figured it out. Um, uh,
0: when uh, when a failure occurs, right? Um, I want to explore a personal failure story that something that you did took, took charge where people were involved. Where people failed, but you are the you are the face, so you are the one who is going to be taking all the beating from whoever it is. Uh, what were those moments for you like? When was the first such moment, if you can remember, big thing that you were totally behind and it didn't work out the way that uh, you expected? How do you handle such change, uh, such uh, um, uh, such a situation? I think uh, that's
1: again. One very, very important thing about being a leader yet empowering your team, right? When you do that, what you are essentially saying is, the reason that I am the leader is because I own your failure. All the glory in the room is yours, but I own your failure. And if you are not able to handle the failure and you're putting that failure on the team, or saying that because this guy didn't do his job, that's why we failed, then you're not a leader. And that is fundamentally a part of the way I work with my people. I tell them go out there and do take decisions. If it succeeds, fine. If it doesn't, it is on me. And you have to be worthy enough. You have to be powerful enough. You have to be credible enough as a leader in the system be able to manage those failures with the stakeholders around because eventually what a failure does is it creates a degree of distrust on the judgment or decision which was taken if you have enough credibility baggage with yourself then it's one failure can it take it all right so it's 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 a, it's a it's a recursive cycle of building more credibility with better decisions being taken by your team and some small failures taking a part of it till the time the sum of this is positive you have sorted you have to be confident about it amazing awesome and you know just a
0: word on uh, being very uh, I think entrepreneurs have to have a very positive outlook towards life they have to be an optimist because they're, they're jumping into the unknown abyss what is your take on on being optimist? Do you think it's, uh, it's 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 how it's how the how you should be as an entrepreneur? Or do you think it's again more delusional to think that eventually everything will work out to the best?
1: I think an entrepreneur is also a human, and personally, I am a mixture of an entrepreneur and a manager uh, and and a, and a human being who's who's. As emotional uh, to failure as success. Uh, But but where I see this uh, most successful entrepreneurs are dreamers. Uh, And uh, they are in some ways different from the normal human being uh, because they are able to maverickly push behind an idea where not many people believe in. there is difference between uh, being optimist all the time and behind and being pushy about an idea i where i am and the way i am as a as a personality i am more of the rational kind uh, and i am more of the kind which would tell the truth to people whether it is working or not working If it is not working let's work harder and make it work rather than saying it will work don't worry i know how it will work
0: (laughs) great uh, uh, amit and uh, you know on a parting note uh, uh, one i want to ask you a book which has uh, influenced you um, do you actually read books do you get it i get the time to do that in your busy schedule one and if you do if you could recommend one for our listeners
1: uh, I do try and read books. Uh, it's 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 a passion. Uh, uh, I, I try and read a lot of psychology, uh, evolutionary psychology. Yeah,
0: why don't you tell me a little bit about that? You had mentioned on your LinkedIn profile as well. What is that all about? Evolutionary psychology. <laughs> Very interesting.
1: So this 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 subject fundamentally is uh, how we behave and how we react to situations. Is it because of how we are programmed genetically, uh, quote unquote, nature? Or is it how we were nurtured by, in our childhood, by our parents and our surroundings, quote unquote, nurture, right? So it's a nature versus nurture debate, and it's a fairly interesting uh, uh, subject uh, from, from where I look at it. Because I'm always interested in thinking when you are looking at the screen right now, what are you thinking? <laughs> right? Uh, okay. And you're, are you all <laughs> spiritual? a bit yes a bit uh, in fact i, I would say I, I i have a lot of faith in the god uh, and, and that's the reason, that's also one of the reasons that i'm here uh, i don't think i as an individual had that capability to be where i am
0: i think that's very important i think to be grateful uh, Most for important. things and uh, that also helps you be more generous with your uh, with people around you if you Correct. at least oh, have yeah. some yeah. sense of believing that it's not just me who's doing everything in my life, I mean, that's just the height of being very, very egoist.
1: It's it's definitely not me. It's it's my parents, my wife, my my surroundings, and definitely the Almighty God uh, which has gotten me here. I think uh, I have done so, very little. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, um, I've been uh, I've just started this book called The Lynchpin by Seth. It's an interesting book, and it talks about how you can, in yourself, become a person who is indispensable. Somebody uh, who goes out there to create a remarkable future or career for himself by having an impact on people around them. And I want to read a couple of lines from this, which I think exemplifies who you are as an individual. Um, And this is about being a linchpin. Uh, The linchpin is an individual who can walk into chaos and create order. Someone who can invent, connect, create, and make things happen. Every worthwhile institution has indispensable people who make differences like these. I think these four lines um, wrap up to what has been an amazing experience talking to uh, you, Amit. Um, Your ideas uh, have been inspiring to me. Firstly, I'm going through this journey of... uh, you know closing something and and now uh, doing something really new very interesting very refreshing i love talking to people i love getting those ideas and i thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, taking the time and doing this for the community if you have any parting words
1: thank you very much, you very much Rohit. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure uh, i i love sharing uh, uh, whatever i have and if it can help anybody uh, i would be more than happy to help uh, help budding entrepreneurs, budding SMEs, uh, people. I think eventually, when you give, you get more, get more of satisfaction and happiness, uh, and then that's that's a very core fundamental in life. You know, these days I'm listening a lot,
0: uh, a lot of these uh, chill steps by Muji. Like right? Muji, is one of the guys who's, uh, um, who talks about the higher aspects of life, and he he said uh, he uses one line which is so hard hitting on my psyche uh, which is there is no way to go and nothing to do which means wherever you are you be there and you do your best and that's like that should be the mantra of your life and uh, you all will always be sorted
1: there. thank you Amitai. thank you Bye-bye. bye bye bye